So I was told this story many years ago when I was, I don't know, I think I was probably about Annika's age and uh, at Bible camp. And it was about a monkey in the jungle. And this little monkey had a wonderful life. He swung in the trees and he could eat whatever fruit he wanted. He had the sun, he had the shade, uh, water, and just great big bunches of bananas, anything he wanted that was out there. And then one day, as he was out swinging in the trees, he saw down in the ground, he saw this little jar. I guess it would be more like a gourd because this was in the jungle. And it was a jar like this, and it was full of nuts. And he thought, oh. He sniffed, and he thought, well, that smells really good. I think I'm going to go down and try. So he goes down. And he tries, and, uh, you know, I don't know, I guess, Sinead, you're busy. I was going to ask Sinead to come up and grab it. I don't know if I can fit my hand in here, even. I don't want to ask another kid. They're going to get germs, my germs from the uh, putting the nuts in here. But Sinead is going to try it, and he grabbed, and he went, and he got some nuts. Look, she got her hand in. Just pull it out. She's going, oh, there's a problem. She couldn't. He couldn't get it off. He was stuck. Oh, you're not going to. You're. It's no matter how much. He really wanted these nuts. So he was trying really hard. It just didn't work. Okay, I'll let you take your hand out and you can go back to down. But just picture that he didn't get. No, he tried and he tried and it wouldn't budge. And he kind of has a choice. The monkey has a choice. Does he want the nuts more or does he want to get his hand free? So that he can go and he can go back to his happy life swinging in the trees. And do you, here's the thing. Do you guys think he needed the nuts? And raise your hand if you think he needed the nuts. Did he want the nuts? Did you think he maybe wanted them? He went all the way down and he stuck his hand in there to get them. And he wouldn't let go. But the thing is, he already had everything he needed. He had all this food and, and trees to swing in. But he chose to hold on to those nuts. And guess what? There was a guy that put that jar there, or that gourd, and he knew monkeys really loved nuts, whatever kind they were. And so he put it there and he because he knew that they wouldn't let go. And he came along and he took that little monkey and he made him into a pet. And so the monkey never got to go and live free in the jungle ever again. And it was very sad. But it's all because he wouldn't give up what he wanted, even though he had everything he needed. You think we could ever be a little bit like that monkey sometimes? Maybe? You're not sure? Could anybody think why we might be a little like that monkey? Not sure. We're greedy. Oh, yeah. A lot of times, like the monkey, we see something we want, and we're trying to. We want it so bad that we just feel we have to have it, or we couldn't be happy. And so we won't let go. Have you ever felt like you wouldn't be happy if you didn't have something? You just had to have it. Can anybody think of something and maybe maybe tell us? What's something you really, really wanted? Maybe you even got it, but you just felt, I just really need this to be happy. 
sleep? What? Who wants to sleep? Okay, well, sleep is a good thing, right? You know, something I really wanted when I was little, and sadly, my dad never let me have one, is a puppy. Now, I was deprived of a puppy for all of my life. It was very sad. But here's the thing. As much as I wanted it, and as much as it's a great thing, I hope you all have puppies. But if you don't, that's okay. Maybe you have a grown-up dog. That's just as good, in my opinion. You can do all kinds of things with them. But I didn't really need it. And even a puppy or whatever it might be isn't what's going to really make us happy. See, the thing is, if we believe in Jesus Christ, and remember, Jesus loved us so much that God, he, he came and He died on the cross to save us. And when we believe in Him, then we, the Bible tells us we got everything we really need already. And Ephesians 1.3 tells us God has blessed us, that's like He's given us a gift, through Jesus He's even he's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so instead of getting caught in the trap of trying to be happy by all these other things, even good things, we can be thankful for how much God has given us. Does that make sense to you guys? We have a lot to be thankful for. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning, when we open up the Word of God in Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to be starting a new series through the book of Ephesians. So I just want to give a, a brief background, I guess, to help us to understand God's Word uh, as we go throughout the book over the next few months, that we um, could better understand um, what God has to say for us. So, it's a really little book. It's only about six chapters in the Bible, but it's very deep and it's a very practical book. It talks a lot about Christ and His church. It teaches us the gospel. It reminds us to be thankful like we talked about just a moment ago. And it talks about how to live the Christian life. So I pray that God will bless our time going through this uh, wonderful little book. And uh, some background on it. Okay, it was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. And it was written while Paul was in prison. Two times Ephesians tells us that in, in chapter 4, verse 1, tells us he was a prisoner. And in chapter 6, verse 20, he, Paul calls himself an ambassador in chains. So even though he was in, in chains, he says, I am still representing Jesus Christ even in prison. And that's a part of what he was doing here, is telling the churches and sent a number of letters in prison, letter to the Colossians, to Philemon, to Timothy, and to Titus. All those he sent while he was in prison because he was um, sharing the truth of God's Word and of the Gospel with the people of God. And uh, so that's a little bit of background. Ephesians, it's maybe hard to narrow down a theme, but I think the best I can narrow it down is it's, it's about Christ 
and his church. The term in Christ is a term that is used in the Bible. It occurs over 30 times in the book of Ephesians. That's a lot of times over six chapters. That's about five times a chapter in Christ or in him. And uh, what does that mean to be in Christ? Well, it, it means like if I were to say this, how about if I were to say Shanae belongs in the Denault family. She belongs in, she is in the Denault family because she married me. That doesn't make me anything special, but it's that's how she's a part of the Denault family. And uh, Ephesians teaches us the identity of the church. Our identity is in Christ. He reconciled us and united us with God and with all of us together. So we're children of God, part of his family, not by our birth because we weren't born into the family of God and not by our merit or what good we could do because we Bible tells us we weren't good at we couldn't be good enough, but rather because of our association with Christ, who came as a man, who actually came and associated with us, took on a human body. He lived and breathed and suffered and bled and wept, and then he even died. He died, though he didn't deserve it, he died for us in our place. And he rose again according to the scriptures. So by faith, by believing in him and making him our Lord, we then have, the Bible says, we have died with him and we live with his life. A quote as I was reading uh, some, some studying on this Somebody said, all the privileges of life are found in union with, with Christ. Nothing short of attachment to him will rescue us from the human plight. And he's talking about how we're sinners and we're, we're going, we're not, uh, we're separated from God. It's the human plight. And nothing can define us as human beings more than attachment to him. From living with him, we learn how to live for him. And so this is a really important thing for us to begin to understand. And this letter is going to teach us about being in Christ throughout the whole letter. It teaches us who we were without Christ. Helpless and enslaved to sin. Like the little monkey who couldn't let go. Who we are in Christ. And then how to live as someone who belongs to Jesus Christ. Ephesians is first about how God chose us to be a part of his own family. And then what is, it, what is involved in being a part of God's family? So I wanted to give that introduction because I think it's important for us to understand a little bit of what we're getting into. And maybe as you read through Ephesians over the next few weeks, you can hopefully begin to see these things, apply them to your lives. So let's dive in then, and we'll get right into Ephesians 1, verses 1 to 14. 
And as you turn there, if you haven't yet, um, from beginning to end, this is a beautiful celebration of God and His work and His work in our lives. It's really a passage of thanksgiving. So we can praise to God because we have all that we need in Christ. In fact, we actually have way more than we deserve. So we can be all the more thankful. God's perfect plan displays His glorious grace and deserves our greatest thanks. So I'm going to read Ephesians 1 and just the first two verses. Ephesians 1, 1 1-2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Ephesians begins with Paul's usual greeting to the saints, and he calls them the faithful ones in Christ. And he wishes upon them grace and peace. Grace very simply means favor or goodwill. This is God's favor and goodwill, which is far better than than my favor or goodwill or yours. And peace here primarily refers to the peace that we can have in relationship with God. He is our peace, and that's a, a big theme in the middle of Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 11 to 3, verse 7. And because we have peace with God so that we can come before Him, we, he is our Father and we are His children, then we have peace with one another. And so Paul's desire for the, the people and his desire for us is, is accomplished by God in the lives of His children. God our Father together with Jesus Christ, is the source of grace and peace. And He offers it to all of us, not just to the church in Ephesians, but to you and I today, that we would understand and experience these things and come to know them as we come to know God. And so a lot of the book of Ephesians talks about grace and it talks about peace. After this greeting, the next eight verses, verses 3 to 14, you know, it's actually the longest Greek sentence in in the New Testament. It's really long. It's about 200 words in Greek. That's a a lot of words. And he strung them all together. And you might think at first, so in English we have to chop it up and make it simpler. But... uh, It's not just, you know, a run on, he's like rambling on. It's really well thought out. And Paul really is uh, expressing some beautiful thanksgiving to God for the riches of grace. He teaches us much through this, but most of all, he calls us to praise God too for these same things that we have in Jesus Christ. He praises God for His plan, for His grace, and He calls us to praise Him. 
Let's read verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so Paul begins with this declaration that God is blessed. And many translations say, they don't just say God is blessed, they say blessed be, which is a reminder that it's a calling us to Continue to praise God. So we could think of it this way. You could say, he might be saying, um, God, who is blessed forever, may he continue to be praised. He continually deserves our praise. God is praiseworthy. And the verse goes on to tell us that the blessed one has blessed us. He has given us special favor, a favor we didn't deserve. And so it's given to us, this, these blessings are given to us in Christ, which means in relationship with Christ. Through Him who came as one of us, who died for us, so that we could share with him in his resurrection and life if we believe in him. This is a wonderful text because it teaches us that in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. All that we need, no more than enough, He has given to us. And this goes beyond physical. In fact, it doesn't say physical. It says spiritual. God provides our daily bread. He takes care of our needs. But more than that, He gives us a place in His family. He frees us from sin. He forgives us from sin. He gives us an inheritance in His kingdom, and the Holy Spirit as a seal to protect us, to guide us, to lead us. And all these things Paul goes on to say that are summed up in this phrase, every spiritual blessing. So we have God, the Blessed One, worthy of all praise, who gives blessings to His children. And next in verse 4 and on, we'll see his plan. And throughout Ephesians 1, 1 to 14, this is described also as his will, his pleasure, his grace. All these describe God's plan. Because God has planned out by his own initiative to give us these, these blessings. And he's not just planned it and it's sort of sitting on the shelf, but he's done it. God's plan is a plan that he purposes and that he accomplishes. So verse 4, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. First thing we see about God's plan is that 
It is He who chose us. And so salvation is all of Him. Paul really hammers in on this point uh, many times in the next couple of chapters. It is His kindness, His grace alone that saves. And so that means that He's the one who deserves our thanks and our praise. This doesn't mean that that we don't have a choice at all, or like God zaps you and chooses you and changes you. And But it is to say that it is God's work. And so His choosing us is, or, or sorry, our choosing is really a response to what He's already doing in our lives. If that makes sense. As John um 6 verse 44 tells us, this is Jesus. He says, no one comes to, the, to me unless the Father draws him. And so the, the God is working in our lives and calling us to respond to him in faith. He chooses, he draws, he calls, he saves. And we respond. And why does the text say that we were chosen? Does it, it say because we were so good, because you were such a wonderful person? You know, it's interesting to me. It doesn't even say God saved you because you were in his, made in his image. As wonderful and important as that is. But it says he saved us so that for a purpose that he, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. A work that He continues to do in our lives. Where He saves us so that we would be set apart for Him. So that we would live for Him. God saves us because of His love for us, but He saves us also for His own glory and honor. And He is most honored and glorified in showing love to people who don't deserve it. And He truly does love us so much. So what else does the plan of God involve? Verses 5 and 6. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons. Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. On Father's Day, we get to talk about the wonderful work of the Heavenly Father, who has adopted us into His family through Jesus and His work on the cross and rising again. This was God's good pleasure. That word pleasure in the Greek, it means that, yeah, it was really his good desire. This was what he longed for. A wonderful reminder of God's love that he would desire to have us in his family and would accept us not in who I am, but in the beloved. That's in Jesus, who is the beloved son. Isn't that amazing? 
that we can approach God not just as a judge and a mighty king, creator, as he rightfully is, but as a father who listens to his children and who, though he may discipline us in all things, he loves us. And yet, there's more to God's plan even than this. And so let's go on to read verses 7 to 14 to see the work of God. Verse 7 tells us, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So the plan of God involves being adopted into His family, but it also involves redemption, freedom from our captivity to sin. Through His blood, Jesus, who obediently offered Himself up for us, overcame the power of sin so that through our relationship with the Lord and the power of the Spirit which He has given to us, we are no longer slaves of sin, but sons of God. And our identity is no longer that of a slave to sin, but a son of God. That does not necessarily mean that there are not struggles. It does not mean that we become perfect and do everything right. But that is no longer who we are because of what Jesus has done. Not only do we have redemption, freedom from sin, but naturally if we're freed from sin, we would also be forgiven. Just think on forgiveness for a moment. In the words of the hymn writer, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I believe that man had the right attitude towards forgiveness. Just like Paul, he was praising the Lord for forgiveness that we have in Christ. In verses 9 and 10, we see that heaven and earth are united under the rule of Christ. And ultimately, one day we shall see that with our own eyes when we see Him face to face. And in verses 11 and 12, 
we are reminded of the wonderful inheritance that we have in the kingdom of God. When I think about an inheritance as a son, naturally they are given a part in what the father has. Now an inheritance, generally they don't receive until you're at least grown up, then perhaps when they die. But uh, the depths of the inheritance that we have in the kingdom of God is beyond really, is certainly beyond my understanding. To think of his riches and his goodness and his grace. We talk a lot about everlasting life when we talk about um, salvation. But that's in a sense only the tip of the iceberg. Uh, There's so much more to the glory of eternity with God. Something to look forward to, to praise him for. And to remember, it's certainly a reminder of how much God loves us, that he would give us um, an inheritance and a place in his kingdom. And this was given, the text tells us, according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will. Now, what a great comfort that is. This is one of the most wonderful descriptions of God's sovereignty. That all the things He does, He wills, He will do. You can praise Him that what He has purposed, what He has decreed, it will never fail. And here we see that he has purposed to give us an inheritance in his kingdom freely through Christ. So we don't need to prove ourselves worthy, nor do we need to worry that it might be taken away. Because what God has planned, he has already accomplished in Christ. So in God's plan, He has chosen us. Christ has redeemed us, given us, given us an inheritance. And the Spirit has sealed us. Let's read verses 13 and 14. Or, well, I guess I'll just paraphrase it. But We who have heard the word of truth and believed in Jesus, this is our part, hearing the word of God, the word of truth and believing in Jesus have been sealed by the Spirit who is our guarantee. Our guarantee that the things that God has said He will do are certain. Just like a seal that indicates ownership, like a stamp saying, this is mine. God places His Spirit within us as a guarantee. And that word guarantee is a financial term that expresses the idea of giving a down payment for something or a first installment that shows um, that the rest is yet to come. All of God's purposes for the future will come to pass. 
He has given us his spirit as a seal and guarantee. And I can't think of a better down payment than the fact that God's spirit lives within us and is working in us to make us into the conform us into the image of Christ, to guide us, to lead us. All of those things which John talks about when he talks about a helper and a comforter and an advocate with, with the Father. I think that these last two um, verses have probably impacted my life more than any other verses in the Bible except probably Ephesians chapter 2, especially verses 1 and 10 there. And I think the reason for that as I've reflected on these verses is because I, I came to realize that God does not go back on His Word. Many places in Scripture make that clear to us. But here I see that we are sealed. There is a guarantee. And so those whom He has adopted and redeemed and sealed have absolutely no need to fear for God is with them. That's what it means to be Sealed by to belong to God. To be his child. There aren't any holes in God's plan whatsoever. He has chosen us. Christ has redeemed us and the spirit of God has sealed us for himself. We belong to the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ. We can praise God for that. So what is the perfect plan of God? To sum it up in a word, grace. Grace has been described to me as God's riches at Christ's expense. You see, somebody had to pay that price for the blessings of adoption, redemption, inheritance, the seal of the Spirit. And they were bought and paid for by Christ. So that it is only in and through Him that we can know and experience these blessings. That we can be, we can know God and be known by Him. Perhaps to put it even more clearly, grace is God's unmerited favor. We didn't do it. Towards those who don't deserve, the undeserving. And really, this is the backdrop of God's great plan. This is what makes it so staggering and, un and worthy of praise. It's that we do not deserve it, and we do nothing to gain it. That is why we praise the Lord. God's perfect plan displays His grace, and it deserves our thanks. Three times, verses 6, 12, 14, the text tells us, to the praise of His glorious grace. To the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. And so this entire section, this entire big long sentence is a beautiful praise to God. The purpose of His plan, the purpose of His grace, and all the blessings that we already have, 
is to show that He is praiseworthy. Everything about what God has done is worthy of of thanksgiving and praise. We have everything we need, far more than we deserve. And so there really is no need to seek after anything else for satisfaction. Because He is everything. The only godly response to such grace is to fall on our knees and worship Him. To know God's grace and to say that we believe such things without thankfulness in our hearts is, I think, one of the saddest places that we could possibly be. And it's certainly one that grieves the Spirit of God who lives in His children. Are we thankful for what we have in Christ or perhaps striving after other things? Do we appreciate all that He has done? If we never think of it, that's certainly an indicator Do we appreciate and remember what he has done? Don't be like that little monkey clinging to something else for happiness that wasn't going to satisfy his life. Remember to praise him with thankful hearts. It's the thankful heart that stands firm against temptation. We have all that we need in Christ. And far, far more than we deserve. His perfect plan demonstrates His glorious grace and deserves our greatest thanks. And I think it's only fitting to close with a psalm of praise, Psalm 150, and then we will praise God together with a closing hymn, Blessed Assurance, which is hymn number 309. But uh, Psalm... 150, the final psalm, is a psalm of praise. Praise the Lord. Praise Him in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen.